Hi, welcome to Motive, a podcast series that meets creative people doing super creative things. My name is Zeev, and I'm the host and creator of this project. In the past, I've interned as a producer at Q on CBC Radio 1, as well as with AM680 News. Here's the first ever episode of Motive. Enjoy. All right. If you're listening to this, chances are you've picked up a board game and played it at one point or another in your life. Maybe you love to go to your local board games cafe with a couple of friends. Or maybe it's how you spend quality time with family on rainy days. In whatever way they play a role in your life, I think we can agree on at least one thing. They bring you some sort of benefit. For a while now, I've been really interested to explore what these benefits might be. You know, beyond fun. The thing is, I'm not really sure how much I'd get out of a company that owns, say, Monopoly, or any other mainstream game in the market. Luckily though, I actually happen to personally know the creators of a board game. Meet Rory Grant. This is my like low range voice when I'm trying to seem like just a little bit more mature. My name is Rory and I work in youth mental health as an admin person and doing a couple of tasks in youth mental health. And I also am the one of the co-creators of Diesta, uh, a game of mini games. And Andrew Luba. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm Andrew Luba, L-U-B-A. Um, I, I'm a uh, law student right now at U of T, and I am also working on a documentary series about the southern resident killer whale. Um, you can look that up, Coextinction, it's called. And then I'm also the co-creator with Rory of uh, Diesta, a game of minigames. <laughs> I've known the two of them since high school. They're both highly creative individuals on their own, but together they have a chemistry and a friendship that enables them to take their creativity to even greater heights. I asked them about the story behind their friendship. Well, uh, <laughs> it all it started the first time we met was in grade one, and then uh, Rory left. He he went to do French immersion school for a, a couple of years, but. Things didn't work out, not really for because of Rory, more because of uh, Robbie, Rory's twin brother. And then Rory came back to my elementary school, and uh, we started to become better friends. Yeah, well, we've just been friends, I'd say. Like, I, I always called Andrew my best friend. He likes to have, like, multiple best friends. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, we've been best friends since grade eight or so, just always playing sports together and doing, creating things together. The list of things that we've done over the course of our friendship is very big. One of them being creating a board game. One of them being like orchestrating a French choir, uh, learning acapella songs together, learning guitar together. Uh, I also cut Rory's hair. Andrew's my, hair, my hairdresser. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time he cuts my hair, I put $10 in a jar because, out of my guilt. And then when there's enough money in the jar, we buy a new board game to play or something. So or badminton nets or a or a set up a little badminton net for out in, out in the world. So yeah, Andrew and I have been friends for basically almost our entire lives at this point. To the game now. You said it's called Diesta. What does that actually mean? Originally, we were going to call the game uh, Super Party Dice, but then we found out that that already existed. It was like a dice game that was for like adult parties and it would roll things that were like 
uh, lick like, stomach. <laughs> yeah, like sexual and like, things and stuff. Yeah. So then I think it was actually Tom Rory's brother who, I think it was Tom, right? He, I don't remember. Anyway, the, I don't think so. He hated the name. He hated the name? Yeah. Oh, maybe it wasn't Tom. Anyway, Diesta means Diesta, a dice fiesta. Yeah. So. That's Dice fiesta. Yeah. And we had, like, originally in my design ideas, I had a lot of, like, Tex-Mex themes um, mm. that slowly, like, got taken out because it just, like, didn't really make sense. And, yeah, <laughs> it just didn't really make sense. It was just, like, why why is this, like, Tex-Mex themed? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just because, like, I like the, those colors and I like, like... Um, yeah, I like the idea. And also I just think of, like, Tex-Mex culture as very, like like parties like this sort of like tex-mex culture we're fed is like there's always a party going on with like music and like fun stuff going on yeah so like that sort of like fed into for me like that theme before getting into a deeper discussion of how diesta was made i wanted the two of them to actually explain the rules of the game so that it would make more sense for you the listeners so here's rory with the rules so diesta is a game of mini games how it works is the goal of the game is to collect Diesta cards. And one by one, you flip over a minigame card, play the minigame, and the winner of that game wins some cards. So you play generally like a, about 10 games or so until the cards run out. And whoever has the most cards at the end of the game wins. So the beginning of the game, you can decide how many cards you want to play with, and that will be how long the game is. All of the minigames are different. Some of the minigames have multiple winners. Uh, some of the minigames only have one winner. If there's ever a tie in the minigames, you flip over a tiebreaker card and it basically becomes a whole new challenge for the two people that tied or the three, four, or five people that tied. So that can be chaotic. And so the first time people play, we often would just encourage them to just play the minigames and never even flip over the cards that they have because the Diesta cards. The Diesta cards. So. When you win a minigame, you win some cards. The person with the most cards at the end of the game end of the game wins. But each of those cards has a special power. So every single card, you can play it at any time. And when you play it, you still keep the card. You just keep it right in front of you. But it means you can often sabotage another player. Or you can come back to life or give yourself a power-up. It can disrupt the whole game, change it entirely. Or it can react to other people playing cards. So if someone, if I play a card versus you, then you can play a card that says redirect. Now the card targets Andrew. Or Andrew can play a card that says, nope, that just did not happen. So basically, by winning cards, you get advantages in the rest of the games. And you use those advantages to win more games, to win more cards. And finally, at the end of the game, the person with the most cards wins. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, where it gets chaotic is the fact that, you know, there's... <laughs> you know for the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's... The simple rules are... It's quite simple, which is yeah. what we, we wanted, right? We can explain it and then get started immediately. Uh, the hard part, I think, is that you have to learn all the mini games as you go. And then at the same time, you have all these cards that you're looking at. So the first time you play... You'll look at your cards, you'll be like, oh gosh, I gotta play that card. And then the minigame comes up, you focus on the minigame, and you forget to play your cards. What tends to happen is when the first time you play, you forget about all of your cards that you've won <laughs> until, the, until the very last game, and then everyone plays <laughs> all of their cards. And it is 
chaos. Like, like really? you'll have like 40 things happen <laughs> in the last game before the game is even started. That's so So it'll be like, you have to put your hand on top of your head. One, your partner has to go under the table. We all have to dance the whole time. <laughs> you have to give this person a haircut. You have to talk in an accent. You have to cover one eye. Every 10 seconds, you need to flip a pancake. Everyone's doing all of these things. And if you forget, you know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. So then how did the actual idea for the game come about? Well, I I can speak from my own perspective on it. Um, So I've been playing games for a long time, but I also do a lot of facilitation. Uh, Facilitating just being like, you know, rather than speaking to groups, facilitating is like getting groups together to talk amongst themselves and to um, basically create a community. So I've done that at camps I've worked at. I've done that with groups of youth. I've done that with uh, choirs, uh, with improv groups, um, with meetings. So in facilitation, uh, often you'll do like icebreaker games and you'll make up activities and you'll teach using activities rather than just lecturing. So I do a lot of creating activities and using games as a way of getting people to connect. Diesta was kind of, uh, it's a game of mini games. So there's about 18 different mini games involved in it. A lot of those games came from things that I've done in facilitation in the past and kind of merging things from various worlds. So the crossover is really in like that games are really useful to bring people together and to connect them. And I use games in my work all the time. Um, this is just kind of like, we're doing it less so about teaching and more about just connecting and having fun. That's what DS was all about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it t- definitely ties in. Yeah. I think, I think like, uh, on that, like Rory had a list on his computer of like hundreds and hundreds of games that are just different things. Like some with pencil and paper, some outside, some inside, like, all of these different lists of things and we would just randomly play them and, and stuff and it'd be like oh, okay well let's try like this game and then we just try it and some of them were bad some of them were really funny you know like we've he, he made those games? uh some he made some are just mm-hmm. games from like the world um and you realize like games that used to be fun and then they stopped being fun, like Murder Wink and Murder Handshake. Those used to be really fun. And then for a while, they stopped being fun. And then we realized, like, we played it recently, and it was really fun. And mm-hmm. we, like, for Murder Handshake, we all, like, got fancy, like, wine glasses out. We weren't even drinking or anything, but we just, like, had fancy glasses and, like, walked around a room as acting as, like, different characters and stuff. And it was just a big joke and really funny. And like all, there's all these games that, um, they yeah they like, you think that they just would be boring, but they're actually hilarious. And I think like we tried to do that with our game and try and make it so that like with these different cards and stuff you have, you can like jazz up some games that are just games you've played many times before, but now it's like exciting because there's something different about it. I'll give you another example. There's a there's a game called um, Say It, Don't Spray It, where you put water in your mouth and um, people try to make you laugh. And if you if, and you have water in your mouth, <laughs> like that was so fun when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then you become like eleven, twelve, thirteen. And you're like, 
oh, that's stupid, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we're we're tw- in our mid-20s now, and it's the most fun <laughs> shit ever. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just, like, bringing a, bringing a sense of play back into, like, you know, not, we're all, yeah, we're adults now, but, like, really, what's it, what is being an adult versus being a kid in terms of playing and having fun? Those things don't need to change that much. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you have other things that you're much more responsible and serious about, but when you're just with your friends having fun you can still just be goofy and and not you know not have to worry about everything that's happening or worry about like how you appear to your friends or um worry about like being silly and and i think games give us that space like if someone were just to just like scream let's go get ice cream people would be like (laughs) okay like chill out aunt lynn but it would also be funny or yeah but i think i mean depends on who you're with but but games give us permission to do that yeah that's true yeah if you're playing a game already and someone yelled that it would be like extremely funny yeah in, in diesta some of the feedback we've gotten um a friend of mine played diesta with her extended family and they're like they're not like the most silly rambunctious people but a lot of the cards in diesta cause people to have to like hold up a phone to their face and pretend to be having a conversation and if you forget then you're eliminated and so like her grandma who's like pretty serious is all of a sudden pretending to have a phone conversation with someone and like you would never see her make the sort of jokes that she was making like put down the dog linda like she was telling me about (laughs) what their grandma was doing and everyone was crying laughing um but i mean i think just the fact that the game forces you to do these things means you get around that barrier of people they're never going to do these things without something forcing them to do it so that was part of it is like the game forces you to yeah have fun shifting gears now to the creative process and all you know it's from my own personal experience that when you start a creative project you go in with one vision in mind and then uh, as you progress and it develops further that vision might change so has that been the case for you too that's i think that's definitely been the case like i mean the project since we were doing lots of things in our lives the we the project took really like over three years to go from when we first started working on it to Mm -hmm. when we actually had something to like share with the world at large not just our our friends um so there were a a lot of uh, definitely a lot of changes during that time Uh, but a lot of changes just to like the structure of the game a lot of changes to how we envision like what the game looked like what the themes were like what it felt like when you're playing but i think um the heart of the game still stayed the same throughout like have fun connect with people uh, tr- less social isolation, more social connection and more being with a group and being vulnerable to the group and open and trying to create that and open that up in people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the core sort of stayed the same, but the means to get to that shifted as we realized, okay, what's like confusing and draws people away from that and what makes sense and draws people in toward totally. that. Totally. I would totally agree with that. Like the core has always been connecting people in interesting new ways like a card that we've had since the beginning is signal jammer everyone who's holding a cell phone is immediately eliminated 
So it just like incentivizes people to like not hold their cell phones. Yeah. And we also have cards like um, there's one that's head massage. And like uh, we tried to build subtly build in things like like notions of consent and and uh, things like that into that. So like the head massage card says like uh, the target of your choice now has to give this person a head massage. Uh, this person can consent to the head massage. If they don't consent, then the person will just massage their own head for 30 seconds. So it's like trying to create like the cultures that we want to see happening, like positive consent cultures, trying to like subtly, uh, I mean, it is explicit, but like trying to just like bring that into like, this is a normal thing that you would ask someone for consent before you like normalize a culture of consent rather than normalizing a culture of like non-consent. Back to the, that core piece around um, um, the core of the game. and Yeah, the core of the game being around connection and stuff. One thing that changed in terms of like the way we achieve that, we found that like a lot of our cards at the beginning were just targeting one player. So like you pick a person and they have to do this thing. So like Zeev, you now have to uh, put one hand behind your back for the rest of the game. And we started adding, like, if we were to recreate the game right now, knowing what we know, I think it would be a lot more cards targeting everybody. So, like, some of the best cards are No Fun Town. Every single person in the game, if they laugh, they're eliminated. So no one can laugh, which always leads to everyone laughing all the time. <laughs> or Dance Party. Every This card targets everyone, and they all have to start dancing until the end of the game. That is the most fun card ever (laughs) like you could play it against one person and that's like it's almost like that actually puts them on the spot and makes them feel a little bit isolated when everyone's dancing it's the most fun type of chaos ever if you stop dancing you're eliminated so like you can stop dancing but then you'll be out and that's what the game creates so then what are some of the challenges that the game created uh as you made it totally well for me the biggest challenge was rules like probably half the people who play who half the people on the planet hate learning games they hate learning new games that's what we found is most people hate it they don't like reading rules uh they don't even like having someone explain the game to them they're just like i don't want to learn this game i just want to know how to play you know um and that's true of like all technology we want it to be discoverable um so with diesta one of the biggest shifts came when we kind of got rid of the game manual and instead had game cards that have the rules right there in front of you, uh, which a lot of games are doing now. They're doing like these quick reference cards with the rules right here on one card that stays in front of you so you don't have to like flip through a manual or remember things. That was a big one to solve it. But I mean, the big the big issue is people don't like learning games. So how do we make a game where, you know, we have a lot of things to learn. There's all these different mini games. How can we make those as learnable as possible as simple as possible while still retaining like complexity enough to be interesting. So that was the biggest challenge for me as the as, like creating the games. Yeah. There's a very short, very, very short, like one small sheet of paper manual, but um, it's just a guide of like, this is the, this is like roughly how you play the game. I guess it makes it more accessible then, right? That's the big thing. Yeah. Accessibility, like accessibility, not only to, like, I mean, we, we haven't been able to make the game accessible to blind people or, mm. and there's probably a lot of cards that are not accessible for, for folks with disabilities, but in accessibility is super broad. Like you can, you can try your best to make it accessible to 
as many different groups as possible. And one is definitely people that don't generally like learning mm-hmm. um, or struggle with it for various reasons. Like, um, So although we didn't center accessibility, I think we maybe could have benefited from doing that a lot more. Uh, that's definitely something we've been thinking about. So the board game itself looks really well designed. And I'm curious to know how you approach the physical design of it and the physical manufacturing of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for the physical design, that was definitely um, more I was leading that. Um, and there were, but there were major changes that related to like the actual game design. So for example, what Rory was talking about where we decided we're going to have the rules on each individual card that is like the game rules. And when you flip that card, that's the game you're playing and here are the rules that totally changes what sort of physical design elements um, you're going to need. So a major constraint in Canada for physical design for product design is that shipping over a certain thickness, two centimeters will end up costing significantly more than shipping things that are under two centimeters. So when I'm designing any product, I try to make it less than two centimeters thick just because the amount of cost saving is like very significant. Like something could cost five dollars to ship instead of fifteen dollars to ship if it was like two centimeters versus 2.1 centimeters um so we tried to make something that was as minimal packaging as possible for environmental reasons while also having all the things that we wanted like perfectly shoved into it yeah so there was a lot of like there was a lot of us measuring sitting yeah with like (laughs) with various sized boxes and all of the components we wanted to put in the in the game and we would like or like cards that that approximated it and just doing a lot of moving things around me like ooh how thick is this measure that like put them in different ways and we figured out a pretty tight package just so that we could you know yeah fit it all in yeah we just wanted to fit everything in as tightly as possible so we'd waste as little as possible um i think another piece to mention um in terms of components and thinking about those sorts of things, we had a bunch of games that used pencil and paper. Uh, more, we mourn the loss of some of them because some of them are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue is if we're asking people to have a game, uh, like you flip a card and it says, okay, everyone grab a sheet of paper and a pencil, and we don't have that included in the box, it kind of goes against like the conventions of gaming. Like You want everything to be included in the box. You don't generally ask people to like, you know, pull something out. We also we're gonna have a timer, and again, it's include it's like a general consensus is that if you have a timer, it should be included in the box. So that's why you see all these sand timers, or digital timers now. Um, the reality is now almost everybody has a smartphone, or somebody in that group will. So you wouldn't actually need that anymore. But but we also don't want people to have their phones out. So yeah, so we were like, okay, let's just dump all of the pencil paper games there were probably like three or four and we just had to get rid of them so that we could just stick with the most basic card games so that it just was like more like less components who then actually makes the games yeah so i've done like a lot of crowdfunding before for designing different products so usually what i do is connect with like a bunch of manufacturers in china using the website alibaba so you can order things off alibaba but you can also just talk to people who manufacture things so i'll reach out to like 100 or 200 people who either use similar materials or have manufactured something similar in the past and i'll say like hey here's what we're making 
this is how many cards there will be. This is what size cards we want. This is the size of box that we want. These are the different materials that we need. We need a rule book that's going to be like this. We need, you know, like tell them we need 12 dice of this size, these colors, and just say, uh, email me back with a quote of what that would cost to make. And then you get maybe, you know, you like contact a couple hundred people, maybe like 20 reply and you just try and see, okay, who like looks like they actually are going to be able to do this. Like they have, maybe they have a website where they actually have made things before and you can see like, okay, this like they've actually made things before. Um, <clears throat> or like if they're really have actually listened to the different things that you've sent in your original email and they've replied in a way that shows like, yeah, we acknowledge like all these different things that you need. And, uh, maybe here's a suggestion of something different you could do that would be better than what you've come up with. And then we try to just develop a relationship with whoever we think looks the best and is also within the price range that we can do for something like we know, okay, board games generally are costing this much right now. So we're going to need to be able to produce it for this cost plus when we factor in shipping. So, okay, we can only work with someone who's going to be less than this amount try and see all the people who are less than that amount and figure out who looks like they're going to be the best to work with. Um, definitely like <clears throat> why I've, why I generally shifted out of like product design is because you don't ethically like know everything that's happening on the other side. Um, definitely environmental ethics are less of a concern um, in most manufacturing in China. But at the same time, if you try and produce something like this in Canada or the U.S., it's going to be so expensive for the quantity that we're producing that you wouldn't be able to sell the game, basically. Yeah. Like, if we sell the game for 30 bucks, if you try and produce it here, it's going to be like 25 bucks, And then when you're shipping it, you're going to end up losing money on the game. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a balance of thinking about actually wanting to be able to make this idea become real and also trying to work with someone who hopefully is doing things in an ethical way. Um, and in the past, this was like a pretty small production run with a small manufacturer. So you can sort of hope like with a smaller company, they're going to be doing things at a smaller scale, which generally in the world, things done at a smaller scale are usually more ethical. Um, mm -hmm. Just that's my experience at least in the past with other projects i've gone to the extent of like i want to skype you and like walk around your factory like through skype with you and like see people working in the factory but you still don't know like if this is actually the factory where your thing is being made or not um yeah. you know you don't you there's just no way to actually know and even if you like <clears throat> went there even if you like flew to um, a factory in China where your thing is being manufactured. They can like put on a shoe. Yeah, they c you don't know what's actually happening. Like you you can only sort of hope that like things are being done right. Obviously in the, <clears throat> in the long run, it would be nice to like be able to make a board game here. But with the way that, that things are priced now, the low price points that people want to see, you're just not going to be able to actually produce your game unless you're making so much that you can mm -hmm. like start a factory here or like work with, you know, a factory here at a very large production volume may be able to do it as affordably as elsewhere. But when you're doing like printing 500 copies of a game, no one here can do that for an, a reasonable price. Or often you contact someone and they're like, 
you get into more detail and you ask them where where are these being made and then they're like we're making them in china and sending yeah. them here and it's like why am i paying you more to make it in china like I'll, i'm fine i can just connect with the person in china like that's not what's hard for me i would i only would want to make it here just to make sure that like the human rights standards are there and environmental standards are there um <laughs> so yeah i definitely face like a lot of dilemmas about that well, quite frankly, I'm actually really happy that I asked you this question then because now I can really truly appreciate how important it is to factor in environmental concerns and ethical concerns. Uh, beyond the actual manufacturing of it all, though, how do you actually market the game? Yeah, um, so like we did, the, we did a Kickstarter to try and get the funding to be able to just order the copies of the game. So we did that, um, and there's just a lot of people on Kickstarter who are into games in general. So if you put something on Kickstarter, a lot of people will see it. And if they like it, they'll support your project. Um, so enough people supported it that we were able to do it. And obviously that included a lot of people at home who we were like, hey, we finally have this game ready. Would you help us out and support our project? Um, which is really nice to see like so many friends jumping on and supporting it. Um, but after that, I mean, I think like we're just taking, we're just doing things really slowly. Like we're not trying to, since we have other things on the go and this is more of a side project, we're definitely taking a pro the approach of like, let's just carry on and like, we'll ask everyone on Kickstarter to give a review of our game on, there's certain websites that people in board game communities like to go to um, and just try and slowly or like more organically as they would say um build a market for it but we're definitely not like advertising it or anything it's more just so it's really more slow. of a creative emphasis as opposed to yeah this money profit kind of yeah yeah no so far we have not made money from the project <laughs> yeah we're just at like basically e like even and so the copies that we have now just like at our houses once we sell those we'll have made a bit of money but the this game definitely at the uh, like pace that we were selling things at, it's not like you could uh, survive off of this game. It's mm -hmm. more just creative and and fun and Cash. more like what we think is meaningful. Yeah, we never really did this for money. We were like, huh? Imagine if we made money, <laughs> but we never really were zeroed in on that. We were entirely zeroed in on this would be fun. So it was yeah. all about just like the fun process of creating it. That's great. And it yeah. feels good. Like, like the stores that have ordered, like there's a store in like Portland that ordered 10 copies of the game. It feels good to think like someone would go to a store in Portland and see our game on the shelf and be like, whoa, cool. If the game, if like tons of people bought the game and stuff and we made money, that would be great. It would be really mm -hmm. fun. And then it would mean like you could easily spend more time making another like a next game and stuff like that obviously it makes all of those things easier like dedicating more time to it but uh but yeah i mean i think we went in with the idea of like this would be great if we just make enough money to be able to like make this a real thing rather than just a, an idea that we had at rory's house three years ago yeah obviously you know this game was a journey for the both of you and i would love to know how you know making it impacted your friendship oh i love that it has for sure yeah that's um, a great question yeah i think for for us 
um, we spend a lot of time together. And I mean, the, the way the game actually started was we had a big pad of paper sitting on a table. We were just hanging out, playing games. I think I like, I had just found a, one of these mini games and I was like, guys, let's play this. And then I, I think God, actually, no, you know what happened was I, I had like three games that was like, each of these games is super fun. Let's play all three of them. And we played all three of them, and we're like, we need to make, like, a little tournament. Like, how do we connect these games? Imagine, like, Mario Party, but with board games, where you're, like, walking around a board, and then we just started drawing things on this giant pad of paper in front of us. I think, so for us, I think it was just, like, when we hang out, we always are doing a project. Like, whether it's um, writing a song, or, uh, yeah, like, re- like recently we, we produced a song for a friend of ours just for fun and we spent like five hours like creating an orchestral song together and like <laughs> yeah we did and so diesta was just like a big project that lasted over three years where we just keep checking in on it and be like what what's the next step like we need to make a video okay like that took us like a, a whole bunch of time before we made the video but that was the next step for a while and like we would just keep touching base and it's just another fun project to do and i'm sure we'll have m- many more yeah I think, yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, you know, even though this project wasn't like for money or something, this project was still like part of sort of like professional life. Like when I'm making something that's going out into the world, I think of that as like to some extent when it's a real thing. It's not just like me joking around completely like it's a real project that is going to be shown to an audience that I don't know and don't have any connection to. I think of that to some extent as like, this is a professional project. Um, And I think that intertwining the sort of, as it became more of like, this is a real thing that we're going to be on real. I don't mean real in terms of like, just, Oh, like this is real. Like it exists. The game exists. But I mean like a project that is going to go beyond our friendship to something out in the world that was definitely a shift for me that I think was really good and interesting and built like a different level of trust of Rory and a different level of support. Um, and it just felt like this was such a great friendship. And in the past I've had friendships that then go, we have done some sort of business thing and it just hasn't been as good. Just like, you know, you have friends who you then become a roommate with or you travel with Mm -hmm. or whatever, and things don't go as planned. Um, but this just felt like it was, for me, it was such a reinforcement of this is Rory is such a good friend. Like every time that any issue ever came up or there was anything that I was struggling with, or we had any conflict of ideas, it was just Rory always had such a grounded approach, um, such a supportive approach of really listening and respecting what I was saying and actively voicing his opinions um, you know, not just like defaulting to what I said, but, you know, really engaging with our discussions and really being respectful and caring and loving. And I just think that that for me was a really great thing for our friendship because it just showed that anything that we want to do together, we'll be able to do it. And mm-hmm. there won't ever be, nothing will ever get beneath our friendship and tear it apart. Yeah. Like, no I don't matter think what anything's happens. ever happened. Like yeah. in grade eight, I was writing a French test and um, it was on Dr. and Mrs. Vandertramp, which is the reflexive verbs. Mm-hmm. And like Dr. and Mrs. Vandertramp is the acronym to remember like divinier, divinier, all these. And I had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> I like 
had not studied. I like didn't know there was gonna be a test. And um, so I'm writing this test and I'm like the last kid still writing. And the French teacher, bless her heart, doesn't care if we cheat. So Andrew's there <laughs> miming every single one of the words. Monte, he's like pretending to climb the stairs. Uh, and um, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> Monte. And I write it down. The French teacher starts helping us. But anyway, um, that just that's what it made me think of like, you know, all of the different things that we've gotten up to. Yeah, it, it's it's something to not to not take for granted. Like, you know, we've traveled together and we've done that together. And we've done so many projects together. And we one day maybe we'll like buy a house together. Who knows? We've been talking yeah. about that. So this is just another way of showing like we trust each other fully and we're not going to mess it up. I trust him with my hair. You know, he cuts my hair. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I trust him with more than that too. And cry. if you guys could summarize you know a positive outcome from this whole game in one in one word or one sentence what would it be in one word it would be just meaning can i elaborate (laughs) yeah i think just like i often just feel like um I have various times where I feel like there's like nothing meaningful in my life. Um, even though I'm doing things maybe that other people would view as meaningful, I just like struggle with that. So this has been a nice thing that has consistently felt meaningful, not just in terms of like what the end, the result will be, but just meaningful in terms of like, this is a fun process and it just feels good, meaningful for the friendship with Rory, meaningful for the friendship with all of these different people who we've gotten to to involve at various points, mm-hmm. um, and meaningful because we're sharing something that supports the ideas that we care about in terms of the social connection and everything we talked about earlier. I'd say a community coming together to create something great because it's everyone was involved. Like, we had so many people playtesting. We had over 120 people play this game before it was a game, you know? And many of those, those people played it many, many times. And they all just did it because they're just nice friends and, and nice people. And it was people. fun! Yeah. It was fun. But I mean, like, they, you know, they didn't know it was going to be fun. They just they just agreed to do it because they were like, yeah, yeah like, I should, you know, like, yeah, this is some a friend's project, so it would be cool to help them out. And that yeah. just means so much. Yeah. I think that Diesta has been a very fun journey and that I think that Rory and I are very lucky that we've been able to do this and very privileged to have been able to do this. So I don't want to say something like, if you like have an idea, just go out and do it because I know that our ability to do this is very much rooted in that we have so many privileges in our lives to be able to take a risk and dedicate time to a passion project and all of that sort of thing. Um, But I do encourage if you have the opportunity to do that or, or you're able to create a space where you can reach out to ask other people for support to be able to pursue something like this, any project can in theory become real and it's just about trying to build the connections that can help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we were very privileged to be able to do this. Um, but I hope that other people have opportunities to do things like this too. 
I would say my takeaway is uh, like I agree with all that, and also play is the word I'm thinking of. Uh, we both make time for play, and of course, privilege is a big part of that. But also, tons of people who have free time don't play, and play is the root of what we, what we created, and it's how we connect with each other. We're always playing, we're always laughing, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, so I'd say like play as a means to connect, such a great thing. So I think that's what Diesta is all about. That's what the creation of Diesta was all about. And that's what our friendship's all about is play. Beyond actually making the game itself, Rory and Andrew worked really hard on producing a promotional video for Diesta. They share funny moments about it. And Andrew did so much video editing. Like the last scene of the video, I took three different shots and or two different shots but i like edited frame by frame so that you would see peter rory and robbie's dad the guy who did the voice for the video just sitting in the middle uh talking while everything else was like frozen just editing that shot just took forever peter grant professional voiceover actor just kidding he's my dad um (laughs) he has a great voice so we decided we wanted to him to be the narrator and also to come in at the very end with as like this old man explaining <laughs> the game, which is just funny to us. Diesta is a game of mini games for three to 12 players. Players compete and sometimes cooperate to win special Diesta cards. The player with the most Diesta cards at the end of the game wins. And so he says, um, so that's it. Uh, get ready to have some fun. Get to know each other and enjoy the mayhem of Diesta. And he couldn't remember that line, so he has his script next to him. If you look at the video, you can kind of clearly see the script. And the when we had everybody there watching him do it, and he says the first time he did it, he's finally got through the whole line, and then he says, the mayhem of Diesta. <laughs> and everyone was dying laughing. So that's it. Get ready to have some fun and get to know each other and enjoy the mayhem of Diesta. And also one thing that's funny about the video is that um, he uh, he's just hilarious. He, he watched the video so many times. He showed it to all his friends because he was the voiceover person. He was so proud. And then one day he's like, so how do you even play Diesta? <laughs> and I was like, Dad, you realize you explained how to play in the video that you watched. I realized that every time he'd been watching and listening to himself talk, he hadn't been listening to the words or their meaning. He was just listening to how his voice sounded the whole time. Diesta is a game of mini games for three to twelve players. He's just like I said, twelve. Nice there. How many players play the game? <laughs> As we wrap up the interview, the three of us head over to the living room and play what will be my very first game of Diesta. Okay, let's play in here. Let's play in here where there's a copy of Diesta already laid out on the table. <laughs> Conveniently, I should say. <laughs> Okay, this game is called Too Cool for School. 
Recess, the playground. Your friends want to connect on the ultimate high five, but they're just a bunch of posers. It's time to prove that you're too cool for school. Every round, on the count of three, every remaining player goes for a high five by stretching one hand towards the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. You have two options. A. Complete the high five, stretch your hands, hand towards the middle of the table. Or B. Fake the high five, pull your hand back over your head at the mm-hmm. last second. If only one player fakes, they win. If two or more players fake, all faking players are eliminated. Mm-hmm. Play until someone wins or until two players remain. If two players remain, draw a tiebreaker card. Got it. Ready to roll? Uh, Rory? I actually have an announcement before we start. I, I have been quietly <laughs> quietly sneaking uh, six dice. It says you can try to steal... Oh, I read this wrong. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, oh, you did the wrong card. <laughs> Wait, you didn't try you, for uh, sneaky dice, Steve. <laughs> I you made this game and I read it. I just didn't read it. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. That was another card. <laughs> anyway, well, never mind. The me. Okay. <laughs> Earthquake. Uh, Rory, you have to take cover until the end of the minigame under the table. Okay, happily I will. Oh, God. It's if so you bad. peek out from under the table, you're eliminated. You, if you can't fit under the table, you can also just hold a large object over top can, of your head. I think I can fit here nice and safe. Great. It's a pretty safe place. <laughs> Fantastic. <place>. Okay. <laughs> wow, I wonder how Rory's going to do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, ready? Might break yeah. my arm. Uh, three, two, two, one. Oh, Rory, my face. <laughs> Zeev wins. Yes. As we play the rest of the game, I continue to reflect on what I now know which is that the ultimate benefits of Diesta are friendship and connection. Nothing more and nothing less. They're the simple necessities of life, really. Fitting to this message, Rory actually composed a theme song for Diesta. He tells me that it is inspired by this one right here. Look, now it's like this, little britches. All you gotta do is... Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. And here's the Diesta version. I don't know if I'll play it in the right key, but I think I'll remember it. Woo! <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> Do like what should you do like this? Is it a better version? Can we get the choir in there too? <laughs> the choir that's with us? <laughs> no, I kind of meant the actual choir, like piano effects. I don't think we have choir. We have a choir in the room right now. Okay. I'd like to give a special thanks to bensound.com for the hip hop instrumental used in this piece. And thank you for tuning in to this first ever episode of Motive. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Music or wherever you listen to your podcasts. My name is Zeev Hattie, and you can follow me on Twitter at Zeev Hattie. Until next time, take care.